Uh, when Brother Swindle called me and asked me would I teach a lesson, I told him I'd, be, I'd, I'd try and appreciate it. And then I said, what do you want me to teach? He said, oh, I can't tell you that. And I thought, well, it would be a lot easier for you to tell me than me. I have to try to figure it out. But, <laughs> but anyway, he left it up to me and called him back in a couple of days and said, uh, have you figured out what you want to preach on? So I picked me an easy subject. And I said, uh, yeah, who then can be saved? I thought, now, that would be an easy subject for me to teach. And it won't take but long because I can just say, you know, everyone that believes in the Lord can be saved. But however, uh, the thought that I really had behind it was is to bring out, if God will help me, what different faiths believe that it takes to be saved. Because we, each and every one of us preachers, need to know what, are, what is being taught for salvation. We need to know what other people believe. And we need to know how that we can help them in their, in their deception to win them. Amen. Now, in, in my studies, uh, I found out basically there's, there's just actually uh, three types of, uh, of, of salvation taught out, out in the world. One of them is, is called free will. One of them is called uh, election, predestination, uh, foreordained, uh, unconditional. And the other is us that teaches Repentance, faith, and being born again. So I went back in history and I got to look in where it all started. And I find that back in the early 400s, there was a man by the name of Pelagius or Pelagius. I'm not good on names. That uh, thought he was a pretty good person. He was a, a minister in what we call the apostate movement of the church, and, uh, which developed in the Roman Catholics. But he got to think he was pretty good and he began a doctrine that, that denied that, that we as mankind inherited Adam's depravity. And he, he began to teach free will that everyone had the same uh, ability as Adam did to choose that which is right and that which is wrong, and began to advocate that in northern Africa where uh, Augustine of Hippo, the bishop, dwelt. Well, Augustine then had to counteract that, so he came up with a different doctrine. He called it predestination, election, unconditional election, and so forth. Now, predestination was not a new doctrine as far as that goes. The Pharisees believed that prior to that. That, that. The predestination part, I believe in predestination. I want you to know that. But the predestination to the point of the individual is, is unconditionally elected to salvation is where I have a point. Now, now, I want to bring this out if I can. Augustine and Pelagius were both of that apostate movement. The true Baptists, us, which were called at that time Anabaptists, in 255 AD, during Cyprian's reign, there was a bishop named Stephen because we would not accept the baptisms of those that departed, that went into the apostate. They began to name us Anabaptists. You'll find that in 255 AD when we first started wearing that name, Anabaptists. We never did go along with uh, Augustine nor Pelagius. Never did. It doesn't bother me that much about Calvin and Arminius in, in the Reformation. Calvin is just, he, all he did was adopt the Augustine views. And basically, Arminius only adopted and modified Pelagius' views as far as that goes. Those views, and they were still, now watch this. It, that was still in the apostate church movement. Both of them people were. And us as Baptists, we, we have never had anything to do, I hope, with, with that movement. Uh, let, let me uh, re read, first of all, our proof text will come uh, of the rich young ruler. It'll be found in Matthew uh, 19, 16 through 25, Mark 10, 27 20, 17 through 27, and Luke 18, 19 through 27. Now, here is basically what Arminius teaches, and I'm, I'll get on the texts here in a few minutes. I'll, I'll lay out what they actually basically teach. Number one, that election was conditioned upon and inseparable of the divine foreknowledge of those who would believe and persist to the end. You see what it's doing there? It's a believer plus someone who keeps his own salvation to the end. That's basically what Arminius was teaching there. That Christ died for all the people and not only for the elect, while all people will not accept his atonement. Man was not totally depraved and could therefore cooperate with God in spiritual regeneration. You get that point? 
other words, other words, God will give a sinner something to do while they're seeking the Lord for him to be saved himself by what he does by his own merits. That's, that's Arminian doctrine. That's what Arminius taught. That's not Bible doctrine. And he goes on to say the doctrine of apostasy. That means if you don't live it, you, you'll fall from grace and finally go to hell. Now, Calvinist, and, and remember, I'm, I'm putting all the, the Arminians in the same group and not in no reflection on, on Jacob Arminius. It's just all that believe in free will to the point that you can lose your salvation and go to hell. I'm putting all that whole group of religion together and all the Calvinists, I'm putting them from the two-seaters to the hyper-Calvinists to just the mild-Calvinists. In my lesson today, they're all bunched in the same group. Now, if there's any uh, two-seaters, hypers, or mild here today that don't agree what I say, all I got to say is if you don't want to have fleas, don't sleep with the dogs. As far as that goes there. But now Calvinism teaches total inability in the sinner. It's also called total depravity or original sin. They teach that. Unconditional election. And they, some call it God's election. Limited atonement. And some call it particular redemption. Irresistible grace. And some call it effectual calling. And then perseverance of the saints. Now, Arminius did adopt one of our views as Baptists, and that is that Jesus died for all mankind. That salvation is for all. Uh, we had that view a long time before they did. We, I believe that. And Calvin adopted one of our views, which is the final security of the saints. In other words, if you're saved, you're eternally saved. Now, that is, that is Baptist doctrine. I'll point this out to you. There's only two uh, religious institutions that all, all beliefs are, go back to. The Roman Catholic Church and Baptist. That's the only two that went through the Dark Ages. And every other religion gets their beliefs from one or the other or a mixture of both. Now, we as Baptists believe, and, and you'll find the de declaration, you have to declare face, and I'm going to use... Uh, uh, the fourth one of the way of salvation, the sixth one of the freeness of salvation, of the seventh of the grace in regeneration, and, and the eighth one of repentance and faith. Now, before I get started, now remember Calvin and Arminius, the 1500s, the 1600s, the Reformation. Going back and picking up the other that, our, that we didn't back up. But I did find, and, and I'm sure some of you know this, uh, in the history of the evangelical churches of the Valley of the Piedmont, or Piedmont by Samuel Moreland, page 33, 1120 A.D. Get this, 1120 A.D., 400 years prior to Calvin, Luther, and them. In Article 7 that they have recorded, that Christ is our life, truth, peace, and righteousness, as also our pastor, advocate, sacrifice, and priest, who died for the salvation of all those that believe and is risen for our justification. Our Baptist brethren, uh, 900 years ago, taught there in the valleys of Piedmont, the same thing we teach today, and that is salvation by grace through faith in a risen Savior for eternal life. That's what they taught. They didn't agree with Calvin. They didn't agree with Arminius, nor did they adopt what they said. Now, I'll admit, you go to the same book 400-something years later, Calvin had sent some of his people down in this area, and they had, they had indoctrinated some of them with that Calvinistic view, but they didn't indoctrinate all of them. Now, Webster defines being saved as number one, to preserve from injury, destruction, or evil of any kind, to rescue from danger, to preserve from final and everlasting destruction, to rescue from eternal death, to deliver, to rescue from the power and the pollutions of sin. Webster defined it perfectly. If you're saved, you're free from the penalty and the bondage of sin, and you are delivered from it, and you are a child of God, secure in Jesus Christ, and no one can get you. Nobody can. Nothing can separate you from that. It's what salvation is. Now, Arminians, I've read what they, they teach, total free will in man, that Christ died for all. Amen. I agree with that. But that those that believe and endure till the end are saved. 
I don't agree with that. That's damnable heresy that they're teaching there. When a person is trying to work his way to heaven and dependent on his self-righteousness, he leaves Jesus as the object of faith and he becomes his own object of faith and he leaves God Almighty as his God and he becomes his own God, period. That's what salvation by works does for people. And third, that they believe that, the, that a man can apostatize or, or turn from God and be lost, therefore perish in hell. Damnable heresies, brethren. And that's what we faced with the majority of the religious world out there besides us as old-time Baptists. Now, Calvinists teach that Christ died only for a few. That's pitiful, isn't it? To think that, that God so uh, loved the, the, the ungodly sin, I mean, the ungodly world that he only wanted to rescue the few and let the rest of them perish. But that's what they teach. Only a few will be unconditionally saved, and he re reprobates the majority to eternal damnation. That's not what I teach. That's not what I believe. That is what they have put forth, and that is what they believe. Arminians teach salvation by faith through works. Calvin teaches salvation by unconditional election. Baptists teach salvation by grace through faith. Arminians teach that a sinner cannot finally come to Jesus until the final judgment day. That's what works against you, folks. You have to stand up there in judgment before God and see if you've done enough good to get there. However, they fail to realize the re resurrection is before the judgment. And in, in the resurrection, you come out of that grave in a glorified body or a corrupt body. And judgment will not determine whether that you're saved or lost. It only determines your rewards in heaven or your punishment in hell. That plain and that simple. And that, that, okay. And Calvinists teach that Christ, I got that, that, that. Got that. Arminians teach that sinners cannot finally come to Jesus' final judgment day. Calvinists teach that the sinners cannot come to Jesus until God draws him or regenerates him. Do you know what that means? Now, I believe if I asked y'all here today, every one of you, do you believe in the drawing power of God? You'd say yes, because you realize the godly sorrow that you went through when you was lost. That is not what Calvin's calling the drawing power or regeneration. We believe that the Holy Spirit reproves everyone in this world, don't we, when they're lost. We believe that the Holy Spirit condemns them to, to, in judgment because of their sin and their unrighteous and their unbelief. We believe that it's a constant. Now, somebody said, well the, well, the Lord might not always deal with you. Let me tell you something other. I will fail God. You will fail God. But the Holy Spirit will not fail in what God said his work is. And his work is to reprove the world of sin, righteousness, and of judgment. And he will do that. And as long as that person is living, there, there's that opportunity for them to get saved. The thing about it is, folks, the reproving of the Holy Spirit is not what the Bible's talking about on the drawing power of God. We should not, as Baptists teach lost sinners, that it's no need of you seeking God till God draws you. That is improper teaching. That is Calvinist. The only thing is, Calvinist says that drawing is regeneration. In other words, you've got to be born again before you can repent and believe. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I would draw men to me. What does it mean? If I am crucified and I become the sacrifice and I became, become the object and I, I die, I buried, I rose again, I will be the way that sinners can look at me and see uh, uh, escape from their sin in hell. He said, I will draw all men into me. Now, I know for every fact the Bible teaches that not all men will come to Jesus. Why? They got the same Jesus, same allurement, the same gospel, because some will reject, won't it? So everyone that Jesus draws himself through the gospel to him, all of them will not get saved. 
Why? Because they have to repent, they have to believe, and then he has to mediate them before the Father. And Jesus told these unbelieving Jews that rejected him, he said, don't you worry about it, in other words. He said, no man can come unto me except my Father which sent me draw him. Now, the drawing power that we teach, what does that mean? That means when the gospel goes out, the sinner is drawn to Jesus through it, and he repents and, and trusts Jesus. Jesus mediates then, then to the Father and, and says, Father, they've met our condition. And that's when the Father does his work. We do believe that all three have work on our redemption, don't we? That's when the Father does his work. And he draws them out of darkness into his marvelous light, light out of sin into righteousness, out of his, his anger into his great love. Amen. Now that's what we as bad to be about drawing, but that's not saying Calvinists teach. Arminians teach the sinners cannot find Calvinists teach. We believe uh, that God will save sinners now. Amen. Right now. We don't believe the sinner has to go anywhere. Wherever there's a sinner at right now, they can be saved. That's what we believe. God don't put sinners off. You know, when I was lost, the devil would put me off. He'd tell me, go here, go yonder, and do everything else. He always tried to find me something to do to help God and to put God off. God don't do that. God says, now, right now, if you'll come to me, I'll save you. Amen. Now, in depravity, Calvinists teach that man is so corrupt in body, soul, spirit, that he has no desire or ability to return to God. Well, that's true to a point. They teach as Lazarus was completely passive in, in being raised from the dead, even so a sinner dead in sin and trespasses is completely passive in salvation. That's not true. Armenians teach that a man is not totally depraved, therefore can assist God in regeneration. What do we teach about that? Have you ever thought about what we teach about depravity? Baptist. Teach that the man, body, soul, and spirit. Now, don't any of y'all come at the word and say, Brother Carter, you believe in the threefold of man. Uh, I don't get into this great brother, brother Moran. He done good on that yesterday. But we do believe that the body, the soul, and the very thinking power, everything about man is totally absent from God, from the presence of God as, as far as that goes. Totally defiled with sin, but not totally unable to exercise his freedom of will. In other words, you can take a glass of water, for instance, and get you some good, good spring water that's sweet tasting. Take your drink of it and then put you some salt, a teaspoon of salt in it, stir it up, take your taste of it, and you have done contaminated with that salt, that whole glass of water. Does that mean that's, as, that's as, as bad as it can get? No, you can get you another spoon of salt put in it, another spoon. And that's the way, that's way man's sin is. But total depravity does not mean that we're totally as sinful, body, soul, and spirit, as we ever can be. It just means that we're totally void of God's nature within us. Now, when Jesus said in John eleven forty three, 43, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus was passive. I don't disagree with that. But can I ask you a question? Did God give Lazarus the ability to hear? How could have Lazarus heard if God hadn't given him an ability? Lazarus could have been, as the brother talked, uh, disintegrating, gone all the way back to the dust of the earth and scattered all over the world. But when Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth, he would have came forth. That plain and simple. Jesus gives an illustration of the way an alien sinner, dead in sin and trespasses, can live. Then he compared that to the physical resurrection of the dead. He said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word, word, he that heareth the gospel. That's what that's saying. He that heareth the word, the gospel, the good news, and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation but is past not will be but is past from death unto life 
Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead, those that are dead in sin and trespasses, lost and without God, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. God gives a sinner the ability to hear the good news of the gospel as the Spirit moves upon them. And if they hear, they live. Just that plain and simple. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming into which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and come forth. They that have done good to the resurrection of life and they that have done evil to the resurrection of damnation. The choice was the individual's. Therefore, though man is depraved, God has given him the one talent. You remember the one talent in the Bible that God gave everybody? Some of them hid it. God gave everyone the one talent or ability to hear the word of God, heed it, and be saved. Just as plain as that. Let's look at the decrees of God. I know Brother, Brother Moran took care of that yesterday. I thought, well, you know, I won't have to do this today. And I got up this morning and realized Brother Moran's what he taught in the past. This is just as good today. Noah Webster, 1828, says that the decrees of God is a predetermined purpose of God, the purpose of determination of an immutable being. That means somebody don't change. He don't have salvation this way one day and salvation this other way the next. He's immutable. Whose plan of operation is like himself unchangeable. Now that's what decrees are. When talking about God, he never changes. He does know all things. He is all wise, all powerful. He's everywhere. God, oh, has a secret will. A lot of people don't talk to think about that. God has a secret will, and Deuteronomy 29, 29 tells us what it is. He said, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. There are secret things about God and God's work and God's being that he hasn't told us about as mankind. Nor, I, he, nor will he ever tell us in this life. You know why I know that? Because he's done revealed to us in the word of God what he wants us to know. He's not going to add to that. He's immutable. He don't change. So he has things he don't, that we don't know about him. We can ponder on all we want to. We can try, try to figure out how wise and powerful our God is and how much he don't, knows and don't know and all this stuff. But God tells us in his word exactly what he wants us to know about him. And the rest of the things that we're supposed to do about him is believe and work for him by faith and take what he said in the word of God and go with it. But anyway, man, that man is in this life will never comprehend. Only God knows it. God has a determinate will. In other words, he's got things he, he predetermined and everything he predetermined happened. You know, when you think about our creator, he is perfect in every divine perfection. You agree with that? In other words, what he predestinates to happen, he also foreknows it's going to happen. If he foreknows it's going to happen, he predestinates it's going to happen. It's just that, that plain and simple. We're talking about the creation now. We're not talk, talking about when man got in, involved in this and messed it all up. We're talking about what God predestined and his ways here. And he goes on, to, uh, uh, he, he, that they are created, set, he set their bounds, he set their means of reproduction, and he set their existence. God did this. God controls all of this, everything about it. You might say, but well, did God know the day that you're going to die? Well, since I haven't read that in the Bible, I can't really honestly answer that, and you can't either. I can tell you this about God's foreknowledge. David went and delivered a little town called Keilah. You remember that in the Bible from the Philistines? And then David and his 600 men moved into that town. Saul heard about it, and it was a fenced-in town. And Saul heard about it, and he says, Ah, the Lord has delivered David to me. And so uh, I, I forget the priest's name, came down and told David about Saul gathering the army up and fixing to come down and get him. So you know what David did? He went and prayed to the Lord. He said to God, he said, is Saul going to come down here and, 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 and get us? You know what God told him? Yes, he is. 
He said, will these people of Keilah deliver me into their hands? God said, yeah, they will. In other words, all David had to do was stay in Keilah. Saul would have been there. Saul would have got him. Saul would have destroyed him. God foreknew that, saw that, and told David, yeah, that's what's going to happen. Did it happen? No. Why? Because David fled to the mountains of safety. Now, I'm going to make this statement today. You can agree, disagree, whatever you want. This is what I truly believe with all my heart, and I believe the Bible backs it up. Right now, this very moment in time as we live, God knows every sinner that exists right now. God knows right now they're headed for a devil's hell. He knows that. You might say, oh, you, you sure of that? Listen, the Holy Spirit wouldn't let them know they're lost if God didn't know it. And the Holy Spirit would not be uh, troubled them by judgment if, if, if God didn't know they were going to die and go to hell. Now, do they have to? God for knows that they're in this condition. Do they have to? Well, certainly not. God made a way in time for them to escape, just like David escaped. Amen. Just like that. Our, our ministers believe that God decreed and elected through his foreknowledge to save all that believe and endure to them. I have a problem with that. You may not. That's okay. I'm not an if God, if they, if they say God looked down to the end and saw everyone that's going to believe and work and endure to the end be saved, then they're saying the whole thing is done finally wind up and we can't do nothing else about it. I don't believe that. That's the same thing as Calvinism over in a different color. In Emanuel Church History by Albert Henry Newman, D.D., L.L.D., Volume 2, 903, pages 345, 346, hit list what Arminians originally taught. I will not read them now for time's sake, but I will tell you it is basically the same thing I've done read you in, in, from another article. But in Baptist Confessions of Faith by William L. Lumpkin, page 195, article 29, it says, Whosoever believeth and is dipped and abideth in the commandments of God to the end shall be saved. That is pure Arminianism. That is what general, this general Baptist people teach. That's not me, that's them. That's their doctrine. That's what they've recorded for us to look at. Doctrines and usages of the General Baptist Churches, page 17. The final preservation doctrine of the fifth point of Calvinism has no logical grounds to stand upon when once election and predestination are reputed. And free will and free salvation accepted. If man can turn to God before conversion and be saved, then man can turn from him afterward and be lost. Conversion does not take away human freedom. You know what that tells me about what they believe? They do not believe that God changed the nature to start with in the individual. They're merely presenting a historical faith and a work out the rest of their way. Because if God changed the nature, changed the will, as brother, one of the brothers said, God owns them now. Period. Now, let's look at this. Arminians therefore teach that election is conditioned on divine foreknowledge of those that would believe and persist to the end, that Christ died for everyone, not just the elect, but everyone will not believe. And be saved through Christ's atonement, that man is not totally depraved and does not assist and does assist God in spiritual regeneration, that God's grace is not irresistible to the elect, nor is it withheld from the elect, uh, the non elect, that a born again child of God can apostatize or fall from grace and finally be uh, cast off into hell. In other words, Armenians teach that salvation is procured and maintained. By good works and righteous deeds. In another way of saying it. By grace through faith and works. Will it work? Paul said in Romans eleven six, And if by grace there it, there it is no more of works. Otherwise grace is no more grace. 
But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. It is impossible, folks, that the salvation is a gift of God, and yet mankind must continue to work to earn it. Romans 4 and 4. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. If you have to work to obtain it, folks, God will owe it to you. He won't give it to you. That's the difference of salvation. Now, let me ask a question. Which sin can we do that would separate a child of God from their heavenly father? That's a good question. If we're going to go by works, which one of it is it? My poor old dad-in-law, he's a general bad in state and loved him to death. He told him one day, he said, Rod, said, I just don't believe a child of God can just do anything he wants to and be saved after, after he's been, and go to heaven after he's been saved. I said, Dad, I said, which sin is it to keep, keep a child of God out of heaven? He thought a while and he said, why? I said, well, I don't want to do it. <laughs> That's simple enough, ain't it? Which one? Well, is it the failing to be baptized? There's a great number that says you've got to believe and be baptized. If you fail to get baptized after you believe, will that keep you out of heaven? If you fail to tithe, we've got to love people who love to tithe. Ain't again it, especially if the pastor's getting a portion of it. <laughs> Tell a lie, will that keep you out of heaven? Take God's name in vain or any of the other commandments that God has given. James 2.10 said, For whosoever keepeth the whole law yet offendeth in any one point is guilty of all. Galatians 3.10, for as many as are under the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed be is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Verse 11, but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith. John 5, third out, Jesus speaking, search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life, but they are they that testify of me. There's no eternal life in reading the word of God. They just tell you about Jesus. That's all it does. The letter killeth. It's the spirit that gives life, one of the writers said. Not everyone that saith unto me, Jesus said, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. What is the will of the Father? That none should perish, but what all should come to repentance? Jesus said, not everyone says, Lord, Lord, because of my name is going to heaven. No matter what they've done physically in this life, that points to good. Not everyone is going to heaven. He said, to, for many... Well, say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name uh, cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works and I will profess unto them, I never knew you depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Now, let's look at that rich young ruler, our text today. The rich young ruler found himself weighed in the balances of God and he came up short of eternal life that he sought. That's sad. That man came to Jesus and went away lost. That's sad to me. It's kind of like Paul said, we are not of those that believe. We, we are not of those that drew back to perdition, but we are of those that believed to the saving of our soul. This young ruler was one of those that, that historically believed in Jesus and came to him. The young ruler came running to Jesus willingly, the Bible says, and knelt down. You know what that's a show of? Humbleness. According to their custom, they'd even taken by the leg to show their humility. I don't think the Bible says that there, but according to the normal custom, that's what they would do. And he asked, good master, what good things shall I do that I may have eternal life? Now, listen, he came as one designed to be taught. He wanted to be taught of the good master. He has one that was in submission. He proved that by his action. As one in obedience, he was willing to do anything. As one that believed he had kept all the commandments, yet not satisfied, he was willing to keep working. Isn't that sad about works? You ne works never satisfy the soul of man. Never does. Never does. This poor little fella, bless his heart, he was a Calvinistic Arminian. <laughs> he believed that God predestinated the Jews to automatically be in this kingdom when he came. And he wanted to be a part of it. 
because he was of Abraham. So that, in one sense, he's a Calvinist. He's an Arminian because he had, they had perverted the true teachings of the law and they thought by keeping the law, they had everlasting life. So he was a Calvinist in one way and an Arminian in the other. And Jesus said, if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. Uh-oh, Jesus had done give a fellow work to do to get saved, ain't he? That's the way the world would look at it. But let's, let's go on and look at this. This young man assured within himself that he had done that. He asked, which? Now, normally when we look at the word, the, the, that word which, we think of one. He can refer to more, but most times we think one. So he wanted to know which one he lacked that he hadn't kept yet to God's satisfaction. Which? Jesus replied, Thou shalt not, thou do no murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Oh, boy. The young brew said, All these have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? I've got it, Lord. I've done it all. I have kept them. I'm on my way. There's a lot of people who feel that way today. It's going to be surprised. Jesus behold him, loved him. Now here is an alien sinner lost him without God. And the Bible said Jesus loved him. Calvin said he was elected to damnation. But the Bible said Jesus loved him. And I'm glad of that, folks, because I remember when I was lost. And I found that Jesus loved me. Jesus beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasures in heaven. But he was sad at the saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. This young ruler failed to see himself as a sinner. He failed to see Jesus as his Savior. He failed to find eternal life by his own good works and self-righteousness. By reading the law, observing, and keeping it to, to, in his earthly life, he thought it should be good enough to inherit eternal life. Proverbs 30, 12. There is a generation that are pure in their own eyes, yet God, yet, yet not, is washed from their filthiness. There's a lot of people like that in Christianity today, folks. The one thing that Jesus proved to this young ruler is that he did not love his neighbor as he did himself. Failing in this one point caused this young ruler to be guilty of breaking all the commandments. Under the law, now I know all y'all know this, and I don't know why I've done this, but I feel like doing it anyway. Under the law, there were two tables of stones that God gave Moses to give Israel. On the first table, it was man's duty to God. And it was this, Thou shalt not have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. On the second table, and this is the one Jesus gave the young man. He didn't even bother to give him the first thing because he knew he didn't love God. On the second, honor thy father and thy mother. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not covet. Jesus summed up these two, two tables in this manner. Matthew 22, 37, 40. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. And the second is likened to it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments, Jesus said, hang all the law and the prophets. Mark said, there is none other commandment greater than these. Jesus said, seeing the grief of the sorrow in the young ruler, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to inherit eternal life? It wasn't because he was rich. It was because he trusted in his riches. God saved many, 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 many people in the Bible that were rich people that humbled themselves. How hardly, 
is it for those that trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. The disciples were astonished. Among themselves, they asked, who then can be saved? Jesus said, with man it is impossible. In other words, man can't save himself. But with God, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. Salvation by grace through faith and works failed this young, young ruler and will fail each and every one that depends on themselves and their own good works and righteousness. Solid proof. God's not, he's immutable. If he wouldn't save this one for works, he won't save another. Amen. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. No, wait a minute. We should never teach sinners to do anything but repent and believe the gospel in order to be saved. Amen. You, you know, brother, most of us here at Pastor Church are pastor not. Did you know we are the ones from the pulpit that sets the tone of what our congregations teach? And if we start mixing a little Arminianism in our doctrines or a little bit of Calvinism in it, just a little, then we contaminate the whole thing. Yeah, and that's what's happening among some of our Baptists today. They're easing in a little works. Some of them are, are easing in a little Calvinism. But now, now we set that tone. And we should, we should never teach sinners to do anything but repent. God never places on the hearts of a lost sinner any kind of meritorious work for them to do in order to be saved. Amen. Never does that. Oh, I've heard some say, well, God told me to go do this and he saved me. Well, they better go back and read their Bible and they better check their experience because the Bible, my Bible, doesn't uh, teach me what they're saying. If an individual came where I belong and, and gave me a testimony like that to join where I belong, I would vote against him or her. Why? Because Macedonia don't need that kind of teaching in our congregation. And if I'm willing to let that kind of teaching come in, in, in the front door, then ain't no telling what's going to end up going out the back door. The London Confession of Faith. How much time have I got? I don't know. Calvin teaches, God hath decreed in himself from all eternity by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeably, all things whatsoever comes to pass. Did y'all catch that? Skip anything else that Calvin taught. The very first thing he said was that God has already been predetermined anything that'll come to pass. Now, you can go ahead and read the rest of the London Confession of Faith if you want to. I hope you do. But remember this, no matter how they try to explain away that first verse, it always right there to haunt them. They say God predestinated all things. That means he, he predestinated Adam to sin. He predestinated the devil to sin. That's their doctor, not mine. By the decree of God for man, manifestation of his glory, some men and angels are predestinated or foreordained to eternal life through Jesus Christ. Just some of the angels. They, you know where they get that? The Bible says, talk about the elect angels. Did you know that? Another place, that same word is trans, translated holy angels. And certainly, God's angels in heaven are holy. These angels of men thus predestined and foreordained are, are particularly and unchangeably designed, and their number is so certain and definite that it cannot be either increased or diminished. Keep that on your hearts. That's what they teach. That's what they believe. Are you, do you believe in preaching the gospel of the lost? They say you're wasting your time. Those of mankind that are predestined to life, God, before the foundation of the world. I like that. And they get that from Ephesians. I think it is one and four. But they forget in Thessalonians, God's got the Thessalonians saved from the beginning. Now, we know there's not no beginning in eternity, don't we? So if God saves the Ephesians in eternity through his predestined decreed will, he waited till time to get the Ephesians, I mean the Thessalonians. Think I'm wrong? Look at it up for yourself. You're going to find. See, my desire here today is to impart something in you that will instill you a desire to go study these things. Don't take what I'm saying. I could be wrong. Listen, I'm just a sinner saved by God's grace and capable. And if I haven't proven that to some of you in this life that I'm capable of sinning and failing, you, you better put you some blinders on. 
Those of mankind that are predestined to, to life, God before the foundation of the world was laid according to his eternal and immutable purpose and secret counsel. Now, here we go. He, they don't even know about the secret will of God. He's hid it from them, but they won't say they do. But by, by his secret counsel and good pleasure of his will, hath chosen Christ unto everlasting life out of this mere free grace and love without any other condition in the creature or cause moving him therefore. They don't have to do nothing. As God appointed the elect unto glory, so hath he, by his eternal and most free purpose of his will, foreordained all the means thereunto. Wherefore, they who are elect, being fallen in Adam, are redeemed by Christ, are effectually called. Now, I do believe the gospel has effect. I believe that with all my heart. But now, what they teach is different on effectual call than what we believe. We believe that, that, that God's grace and the power of God is effectual to a penitent believer that it will save them. But what their effectual grace is that somewhere out in the wild blue, you'll be fishing or hunting or swinging and swinging, then all of a sudden the Spirit will effectually call you right then because you're already one of the sheep. And because He calls you right then in His own good time and pleasure when He can get all the glory and honor for it, His people are made willing in that day. And that is a verse in Psalms. That's their doctrine. His people should always be willing to follow him. I wish we were. Unto faith in Christ by a spirit working in due season, in other words, sometime or another, are justified, adopted, sanctified, and kept by his power through faith unto salvation, neither are any other redeemed by Christ or effectually called, justified, adopted, sanctified, and saved, but the elect only. Sovereignty of God. What is sovereignty? God is supreme in power, supreme in dominion, supreme in knowledge. He is the supreme ruler of, of the universe as sovereign. He created all things in the heaven, the things that are therein, the earth and the things therein, and the seas and the things therein. He is inexpressibly glorious and holy, and as sovereign, He is worthy of all possible honor, confidence, and love. As sovereign, He must be obeyed in all things. As sovereign, he has a perfect right to do as he pleases with his creation and no other being in heaven, earth, or hell can challenge his right to do it. You agree? I agree with that. Romans 9, 20, 21, Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Or hath not the power, power, power over the clay of the same one to make one vessel to honor and the other to dishonor? Calvinists teach in the sovereignty of God that God decreed all things that whatsoever comes to pass, that he predestinated some men and angels to eternal life while reprobating the remainder of men and angels to eternal damnation. The one to the praise of his glorious grace, the other to the praise of his glorious justice. That's what they teach. And that the number is so certain and definite that it cannot be increased or diminished. They teach that God predestinated this number without any other condition or cause that he foresaw in them. That in time, all who are elected are effectually called, regenerated in Christ by his spirit working in due season. Now, sovereign. God certainly could have done this. I don't debate the fact that God could have done that if he wanted to. God could have just as easily as a sovereign elected to save unpenitent, unbelieving people. He could have as sovereign and not one of us could say one word against it. But the point is, Calvin says he did it, but did he? And that's what I want to... Here's my position. As sovereign, God could just as easily decree to, uh, to create mankind with a will and ability to choose, with a will, with a will and ability to hear the gospel, with a will and ability to repent and believe in Christ as their personal Savior, as electing them to unconditional, without power, of freedom of choice. By electing man and giving him the ability to choose, God displays his mercy upon all mankind. That's what our God is, a merciful God. He manifests his love to the human race by giving us this choice and this will. 
He exhibits his equal justice for the actions of man, good or bad, and he exercises his sovereignty of his elective power. Calvinists teach that God decreed man to be saved in Christ in the covenant of redemption, and that number could not be increased or diminished. That's what they teach. Therefore, number one, they would never be in danger of hell. Thought about that? Number two, they would never have to repent and believe. It's not on conditions. They would never have to hear the gospel. They would never have to labor and warn others. And they would never be rewarded for the deeds that they have done. Calvinists teach that the non-elect are reprobated to condemnation and hell. Therefore, they can never have the privilege to hear the gospel. They can never be able to repent and believe and trust in Christ for salvation. They can only become more corrupt in time. And, and their punishment in, in judgment would be more severe. And they cannot escape the damnation of hell. That's their position. Calvinists teach that God decreed the majority of Adam's race to reprobation giving his son Jesus the feud. Therefore, Satan does not have to do anything to get him. God's done gave him, gave him to me. See how corrupt this Calvinism is? If there ever was a damnable heresy, that is, folks. Amen. Satan gets, all, gets to keep all that God has given him. Satan brings them to perdition with himself that all the labors, preaching, testifying prayers of God's children cannot pluck one lost soul out of Satan's hands. That those that God has given Satan shall eternally be with him, beholding his torment and sufferings and with him forever in hell. That was prepared for the devil and his angels. Therefore, warning the people to flee the wrath to come would be pointless. I don't know why John even fooled with it. Because the elect are never in no danger of it, and the non-elect cannot escape it by the Calvinistic doctrine. Time's up. Oh, my. But I enjoyed it. We didn't get on our part, but that's, that's okay. Uh, thank you very much for listening to me. If you, you know our part anyway. To take what we presented to you today, study it. And if you find me to be an error, please tell me. I don't think you will if you'll study it out. You won't find me an error on this. God bless you, brethren.